Well, good morning, folks. Uh, my name is Mark Kelly. If you're with us for the first time this morning, I'm the senior leadership here at Freedom Church. And as always, it's a real pleasure to stand up here and preach. We've not done it for a few weeks. Um, so it's good to have weeks off, but it's also good to be able to do what God has called me to do, which is to preach and to teach and to read the Bible. And I was just reading that this morning from Timothy. That's what Paul asks Timothy to do. He just says, teach, preach, and read the Word. So isn't that a, a good but simple um, thing to, to have as your calling? Yeah. And what a powerful thing to have as, as your calling. Um, this morning I'm going to preach on defining moments. I'm going to talk about defining moments. And God gave me this, this message to preach at the beginning of, of last week. So I really believe that this preacher is going to speak to one of you, at least one of you directly. I'm hoping he might speak to more than just one of you. Um, but there's definitely one person with us this morning who needs to hear this word. Um, I'm going to also quote you something before I begin uh, from a guy called Tim Keller, who is the kind of senior leader of a big church in New York. He's produced lots of books and they're all good to read. Um, but there was an interview in Premier Christianity magazine. And one of the questions was this uh, How can people listen? To a sermon well. How can people listen to a sermon well? And he answered it like this. When I go and listen to a sermon, there's a tendency to not humble yourself before the message. You sit there like a consumer and you say, is this going to be good use of my time? Is this person really going to be that interesting? You also compare that person to other people you've heard. The first thing you need to say is, this is Tim, Lord, do you have a word for me? So this is, this is the teaching he's given in this interview. And that's what you need to ask yourself. Lord, do you have a word for me? Why am I here? I'm not sitting under this person's preaching by accident. I have to humble myself under it, even if I feel it's imperfectly said. If more people were doing that more often, then we would see more life-changing things happen. Isn't that, isn't that so good? So whenever you come to listen, sit down to listen to a preach in whatever way, whatever format they present it, humble yourself before the word. Because even if you've heard it all before and there's nothing new under the sun, you can pray as you're listening, Lord, help, help your word touch somebody's heart that is here with me. Or that it's not just here with me this morning, but on the internet. So essentially, Lord, help this word reach somebody in the world. Because that's the reach that our message has now. We can reach the world, or at least those parts of the world that are connected to the internet, and there are more and more of those parts of the world that are being connected to the internet. So even if you've heard it all before, pray that somebody else gets something from it. But first of all, humble yourself before the word and think, God, what can I get out of this this morning? Okay? So that's just a little kind of lesson there for kind of listening to a preached word as we go on and uh, from now on. Okay, let's just pray a little short prayer that, that connects to what I've just said. So, Father, open my eyes so I can see your truth. Open my ears so I can hear your voice. Open my mind so I can understand your word. And open my heart so that I may receive all that you want me to receive. Amen. 
Oh, man, fantastic. All right, defining moment. So I think we've got to begin by defining what I think I understand to be a defining moment. So I would say a defining moment is any time in your life in which a choice you make or an incident that, that just happens causes something in your life to change in a, in a significant way as well. It's something that from that moment on defines some aspect of your life or indeed affects the entire way that your life is now headed. Okay, that's kind of how I would interpret a defining moment. So as I'm speaking right now, I bet that some of you are already beginning to think about defining moments in your lives and that how life-changing have they been. And that's good. I want you to, to, to keep an ear on what I'm saying, but I do want you to focus in on those moments because we've all had them and we'll all continue to have them throughout our lifetimes. So uh, another example of a defining moment might be when we move from being a young child to a teenager. It may be that others around us notice first. <laughs> it, it will probably be, or at least it should be, the day we get married. It might be when we have our first child. A defining moment might be when you leave school or graduate from uni or college. It might even be the experience of a death of a loved one. See, not all defining moments are going to smell of roses and perfume. They could be really tough. But the point is that you're changed, and that change is significant. Now, I'd like to speak briefly about two defining moments for me, amongst the many, you know, marriage, kids, etc. And I want to talk about the first one first. I want to talk about the, a moment that happened in my early 20s, uh, years before I came to have a relationship with Jesus. And it's a very, it might sound a very strange defining moment for you, but it's certainly a defining moment for me. Now, in my late teens and early 20s, I used to go clubbing a lot. And anybody that knows Wakefield went to, I know that I went to some classy places. And uh, I used to, every night, I would, I would go to the pub, I would go to the club, I would get drunk a lot, I would get pizza and chips on the way home. That was the way my life was, and I was still living at home in Tingley. And I remember one evening coming home a little bit worse for wear, and, and it was pouring it down with rain. I think I'd walked home. You know, I'd, well, maybe in some of you, before you became a Christian, you, you had those moments where it seemed a good idea to go home in the pouring rain when you're a little bit wrecked. And, and I got home, and, and it was pouring with rain, and instead of going in, I found myself sitting in the middle of the garden, two o'clock in the morning, sitting in the middle of the garden, and I just started crying. You know, my, my tears joined with the raindrops. And, and I was there, thank you. But it was a defining moment for me because at that point, I just thought, I can't go on doing this. This is stupid. You know, I wasn't a Christian. There was no moral compass of which I was guiding myself at that point. I was just thinking, this isn't good for my life. I need to stop. And that very, at that very moment, that decision was made that I was no longer going to live that kind of life. Now, it didn't stop me going to the pub every now and again. It didn't stop me going to those classy clubs every now and again. But what it did stop me was, was, was going every night 
and getting pizza and chips every night. And, and you know, my life improved because of that defining moment in the rain. Important for me. As Christians, we'll continue to have defining moments. And they'll happen throughout our spiritual life. The day that you became a Christian was a defining moment. A time in your walk when you faced your first trial. As a, as a new believer, that, 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 that's a defining moment. A defining moment could be when you weathered a tough storm or you discovered a biblical truth formed through your own thinking and encounter with the Holy Spirit for the first time. I want to tell, talk about now my second defining moment. And, and, and this is after my conversion to faith. The beginning of my relationship with Jesus was certainly a defining moment, like I've just said, it should be for all of us. But I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about when I discovered the power of prayer. And I remember this came after many hours of conversation with, particularly Pat Gray, who is sat right there. And we would talk at length about speaking in tongues. I had a real problem with speaking in tongues. In some ways, I still do. I still struggle with, with, with this concept of speaking in tongues. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, what I don't struggle with is the idea of private tongues to God. I don't struggle with that. I struggle a little bit about public tongues. So people getting a mic, speaking in public with tongue and no interpretation coming. Because in scripture, it says if you speak in tongues, let there be an interpretation. So we need more interpretation in the house of God. So I would encourage you to pray before you come in the morning. Lord, is there a word you want me to interpret this morning? And then maybe God might start putting that tongue on somebody to give and you can interpret it. So that's, that's that. But the point was, this speaking in tongues, this speaking in a heavenly language to God. And I remember this happened on one evening. I was walking back. I think it might have been, and it's funny that you're here this morning, Pat Ross. I used to live with you, didn't I, many years ago now. And I was walking, I think, from your house to, to Kathy's house. Or back the other way, I can't quite remember. But the defining moment was the evening. And I just said, all right, I'm going to give up arguing. And I'm just going to pray in a heavenly language to God. And I just, as I walked, I just let my thoughts wander. I let my tongue move. And I began to speak to God in a heavenly language. And from that moment on, and I can't explain this to you in any other way, it was like light bulbs started popping on in my head. Concepts and theology that I didn't understand about the Bible and about my newfound faith started to, in some ways, become understandable. Things started untangling themselves from from that intellectual process to something that going, it is beyond that. The things you need to understand about scripture and God, it's beyond just logical thinking. And I remember by the time I got to wherever I was going, whether it was there or going back, God had changed something within me and a new prayer life had begun. Wow, that's good stuff. So what can I say right now about these two moments that are true, that I've just read to you. The first is that we're not limited to just one defining moment in our lives. And second, defining moments have a huge impact on our lives when they happen. It's not going to fall over, I've got faith. When you have a defining moment, you're not the same again. And there have been many defining moments in the lives of human beings that have changed their lives forever and set the course that they would follow for the rest of their lives. And many defining moments 
are in God's word? Who's got God's word? Who's holding it right now? Who's holding God's word? And it could be on a, it could be on a phone, it could be in a book, it could be on an iPad. That is one of the most important things you can ever hold in your hands. Treasure it, love it. Keep it with you at all times if you can. Or if you can't, at least bring it on a Sunday morning. The Bible is a great place to see good examples of defining moments. So let me talk through a few of them. Moses, a famous leader in the Old Testament, that's the first part of the Bible, had a number of defining moments in his life. Like when he found the the burning bush and God spoke to him from it. That's a defining moment. There's some guys in the Old Testament as well called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Abednego, again from the Old Testament, they had defining moments when they were taken into captivity. Daniel had a defining moment when he was thrown into a lion's den. That's probably a well-known defining moment. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I've even even separated the names so I can say it. Uh, Anyway, Abednego. They had their defining moment when they were thrown into a fiery furnace and they were saved from death by an angel. Their lives were changed after this. A mighty king from the Old Testament, King David, had many defining moments that affected him in positive and negative ways. Do some investigation of this guy because he's a flawed or was a flawed human being just like us who made some really stupid decisions, but they gave him some defining moments. But he was someone who loved God with all his heart and realizing when he'd done wrong, or even when he'd done right, he let these moments shape him. They let him, those moments shape his character and his life. Like David, sometimes the decisions we make can be the wrong decisions. When David made the decision to sin with Bathsheba, that was a defining moment. And then when confronted by the prophet Nathan about the sin, David had another defining moment. You need to look this up for yourselves, investigate for yourselves. Well, let's talk about for a moment a guy from the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of what we call the New Testament. And a story of when he was on the road to Damascus and and he saw Jesus and when he accepted Jesus as his saviour. The story tells of another defining moment as well. It's a moment of obedience from somebody else called Ananias. So if you've got your Bibles with me, which you have because you've all stuck them in the air a few moments ago. Can you turn to Acts chapter 9? Acts chapter 9. And go to verse 9. So Acts chapter 9, go to verse 9. Now I'm going to read to you from um, an interesting translation, so it will be different from yours, called the voice translation. And the thing about the voice translation, it's almost like it's a script. So you have the people kind of as characters on a play, in a play, and it defines the, the context of which they're set. But it makes for a really interesting way of reading the scriptures. So I'm going to go ahead. You try and keep up with me as best you can the translations you have. Back to Saul, this fuming, raging, hateful man who wanted to kill every last one of the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest in Jerusalem for authorization to purge all the synagogues in Damascus of followers of the way of Jesus. His plan was to arrest and chain any of Jesus' followers, women as well as men, and transport them back to Jerusalem. He traveled north toward Damascus 
with a group of companions. Imagine this. Suddenly, a light flashes from the sky around Saul. And he falls to the ground at the sound of a voice. The Lord. Saul, Saul, why are you attacking me? Saul, Lord, who are you? And then he hears this word, these words, the Lord, I am Jesus. I am the one you are attacking. Get up, enter the city. You will learn there what you are to do. These are shocking, unexpected words that will change his life forever. His other traveling companions just stand there, paralyzed, speechless, because they too heard the voice, but there is nobody in sight. Saul rises to his feet, his eyes wide open, but he can't see a thing. So his companions lead their blind friend by the hand and take him to Damascus. He waits for three days, completely blind, and doesn't eat a bite or drink a drop of anything. Meanwhile, in Damascus, a disciple named Ananias had a vision in which the Lord Jesus spoke to him. The Lord. Ananias! Ananias, here I am, Lord, the Lord. Get up and go to Straight Boulevard. Go to the house of Judas and inquire about a man from Tarsus, Saul by name. He is praying to me at this very instant. He has had a vision, a vision of a man by your name who will come and lay hands on him and heal his eyesight. Uh, Lord, Ananias, Lord, I know whom you're talking about. I've heard rumors about this fellow. He's an evil man and has caused great harm by your special, uh, for your special people in Jerusalem. I've heard that he is authorized by the religious authorities to come here and chain everyone who associates with your name. The Lord. Yes, but you must go. I have spoken, I've chosen him to be my instrument, to bring my name far and wide, to outsiders, to kings, and to the people of Israel as well. I have much to show him, including how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias went and entered the house where Saul was staying. He laid his hands on Saul and called to him, Ananias, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here sent me so you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At that instant, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see. So he got up, received the ceremonial washing of baptism, identifying him as a disciple, ate some food. Now remember, he'd not eaten for three days and regained his strength. He spent a lot of time with the disciples in Damascus over the next several days. And then he went into the very synagogues he had intended to purge, proclaiming Jesus is God's son. Obviously, this amazed everybody. And the buzz spread it's a bit of a chunk of scripture, but like I said earlier, I love reading the word and you should love hearing the word because it's the word of God. But let me come back to this. So Paul's defining moment, first defining moment in that story came with a vision of Christ. That's a pretty impressive defining moment. I'll give you that. But this comes with a question. Who are you to Jesus? And he gets the answer for the first time. That Paul is seeing Jesus not as someone whose memory he needs to extinguish from the earth. In a number of translations, including the one I've just read, it uses the word purge. And purge is to remove the unwanted feeling, the memory or the condition. 
And he falls to the earth with his face on the ground, ready to receive instruction. The presence of God was so tangible at that moment. So powerful that even though his vision, even though this vision was given to Paul, there's a sort of divine leak, if you will, to his companions. Enough to convince them that they won't just dismiss Paul's request to lead them to Damascus, but probably with a lot of trepidation, know that they should grant him his request. These people who, like Paul, wanted to rid the earth of all followers of the way, that's early followers of Jesus, find themselves changed enough to help Paul follow through with the commands of Jesus. But this is not Paul's only defining moment. Ananias also had a defining moment when he chose, despite all his fears, to obey Jesus and seek out Paul or Saul, as he's still called at this moment. On saying that, Ananias did press Jesus a little to see if he'd heard right. You want, you want, you want me to visit Saul of Tarsus and, and you want me to lay hands on him and pray with him in the power of your name? That, that the guy who, with many others, but he is the worst, is slaughtering and killing many of my brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters? You can see that within this question, Ananias' defining moment is deciding to submit wholly to Jesus in a way that is brave, shows commitment and obedience. And I haven't done a study of this, but pretty much all the translations say that Ananias must go straight to straight street. And it could just be the name of the street. It, it really could. But for me, it gives this command a bit more urgency. Go to this street without deviation, without pass and go, without collecting 200 pounds. Ananias heads straight to straight street with the conviction, conviction and passion that he has heard correctly from God. If you remember last week, we talked about passion. Passion is from a Latin word that means to suffer, to give your all for something. He is prepared to give his all because he believes he has heard correctly from God. And I pray that I have, and I pray that we have, this, this bravery and passion to obey God without being distracted by opinions and thoughts of others. Or fear of what people will think or do. So Ananias goes and, and he prays. And so what's Paul's second defining moment? He receives Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And he's immediately baptized into the faith. He publicly declares his new allegiance to the Savior. And his life is never the same again. He declares that Jesus is the Son of God. Scales fall from his eyes and he begins to see the world in a new way. A way that will bring persecution and punishment, ironically, from people like he was. But it's a way that is now free from legalities and structures of the old law. This is a way of freedom and salvation. And, and it's what that we who believe now have because of our acceptance as Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And let's not ever forget that. Let's not ever forget that, folks. How many more people have come to defining moments like Paul through his ministry 
and sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ. We'd, we'd be missing a large portion of the New Testament, that's for sure. How many more people could have this same defining moment if we share with bravery and passion the good news of Jesus Christ? How many more people will come to have a relationship with Jesus if we share that same bravery as Ananias and that same passion for helping people hear the good news and enter into a relationship with Jesus? In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we, we love. love.